Thanks, uh, Wally and others, including the congregation. Appreciated that last song as well. Certainly, it's very fitting that in this weekend we would end on Blessed Be Your Name. The beautiful sunshine that we've all been enjoying. I don't think I've seen a march quite like this one, and I trust it'll continue and fool all the pundits and maybe go out like a lamb as well, has come in like a lamb. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Those of us who've already enjoyed some of this weekend have also enjoyed a video presentation. I can only imagine, if you haven't already seen it, I highly recommend it. It should be here till Wednesday, and uh, uh, it's not too often when the uh, Christian movie gets to be sold out on its first night showing. That was a, probably a first or second, maybe, that that's happened. And uh, as the uh, theater recognizes that Christians want good, clean movies that have a truthful story and tell of Jesus, um, they will keep bringing them in. So next one we have to start praying about is God's Not Dead 3, which is actually releasing on March the 30th. So we're hoping and praying that we will be able to get that one up here as well. So uh, if you can, attend it. If you can promote it and uh, encourage others to do so, we would ask you to do so. Uh, Chapel, I understand, had a nice uh, time sledding and uh, chili supper. We were not able to take that in, but we did take in a little birthday celebration for our grandson, Joshi, who turned all of three years yesterday. So uh, it's been a fun weekend for us all. But this is the weekend that we celebrate the Lord entering Jerusalem. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Wow, that's a good way to start. Do we do as Jesus commands? They brought the donkey and the colt, they laid their clothes on them, and they set him. You know, that's a strange, strange request. Go get a donkey. Like, why not a nice white charger? Why not go up to the, go up to the centurion who uh, had his servant I'm sure he would have given him a chariot from Rome. You know, why would he not choose something so humble, almost despised donkey? Man, hee-haw, you know, like what it gives. Like this is a joke, you know, and that's sort of where he was coming from because he wanted to be clothed with humility. And the great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before those and who followed said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've just been singing that. It's wonderful. We've been a participant down through the ages as the church of God has marched forward in time to say, We are waiting. Save now. Isn't that what John the Apostle wrote? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and save now. And they were saying, who is this? This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So it's a a particular time that we find ourselves in history right now. And it's a wonderful time. When we were studying a couple years ago, the book Believe... Randy Frazee gave some interesting statistics which um, we were able to share, and I brought them back for a reminder that we live in a really interesting time. 
as Christians, we find ourselves in a situation where we are in the category that isn't in the minority when it comes to personal salvation. That the majority of the world holds to the idea that somehow you and I can become good enough for God. And as those statistics show, 38% agreed strongly, 33% agreed somewhat, and 9% just disagreed a little bit. So we have over, well, 33 and 30, 38, wow, 71, and then you got another 9, 80%. Man, that's a, that's a pretty strong, strong statement about the community that you and I live in. You wonder why it's hard to witness about a Savior who died in our place? The world says, I don't need him. Hey, I'm good enough. I got my social clubs. I've got my offerings that I make to different charities. Doesn't matter which one. I've got my good works. Why? I even shovel out the neighbor's driveway every once in a while. I have all I need. Why would I need a Savior to die for me? I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous woman. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. That's the world you and I live in. doesn't get any easier. People who will have a second chance to follow God after they die? Ah, whoa, look at the numbers there. Agree. 11% agree somewhat. 19%. We're up to 30% that actually agree with that statement. And the like group, 15%, sort of, uh, I don't want to be too a little confrontational here, but I'm a little bit in disagreement. You know, so we're up to 45% really sort of lean in that direction. There ain't no second chance. You get one chance at this world. You get one chance at God. You get one chance at salvation, and that is it, according to the Word of God. It's not me saying it. It's not you saying it. It's the Word of God. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You don't get two judgments. You get one for what you have decided here in this world. So when we say Jesus is righteous, we're doing a theme, Jesus is. And it's a wonderful theme. Thank you, Phil, for uh, putting this all together. Because we need to focus on Jesus. This is why we meet. He is why we, re- we, we remember. He is why we are here today. But what does it mean to be righteous? You know, if you talk to most people today, there is no right. Ah, your right may be okay for you, but not my right. I have a different right. Happens to be left. (laughs) That's the way the world is. You know, if you want to be a rock, you're a rock. Now, I didn't say rock star, I said a rock. If you, want, if you want to be a guy, you are a guy. If you want to be some other gender, you can be some other gender. That's the world we live in right now. But that's not the Word of God. And ISBE, that's the International Standard Bible, defines righteousness as the knowledge of what right is and the will to do it. Now, it assumes that right exists in this present age. There is no right. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. That is so... So much from the scriptures, because that was the way the uh, judges ends. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. Nobody has any idea of what is right and what is not. So, what right is and the will to do it. The Hebrew word 
little word, I can't even pronounce it, teske, I believe, but it just means the right, the moral, the legal, the just, what is justice. It's used several times, I think over a hundred times in the Old Testament, but here's, here's one of the reminders. When Moses was standing there looking into that promised land, which he would not enter himself, but the nation of Israel would, he says, don't think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out. He's talking about how they're going to be going into the promised land. They're going to have the nations before them retreating. And he says, don't think God has cast them out because of your righteousness. He says, keep that in mind. It's not about you. Don't think that Lord has brought me in to possess this land, because, but it's because of the wickedness of those nations the Lord is driving out. It's not because of your righteousness. Actually, if you read the passage, Deuteronomy 4, or 9, I should say, in the three verses, there's three times he says, get it right, you're not righteous, and that's not the reason why this is happening. Wow. New Testament word, deacosyne, it specifically means justification, righteous, just. It's found 92 times. Let's think for a moment. Let's kind of summarize this because there's no way we can get through this in the short time we have. But did a study in the Psalms. 74 times the word righteous is found. Of those, only seven times refers to man's own righteousness. In other words, the writer is talking about his own righteousness. Of those other times, it's 90%. It's God is the righteous one. God is righteous. Psalm 4, verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Verse 5, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in God. Put your trust in the Lord. So there's a parallel thought there. If you want to offer sacrifices of righteousness, they have to be with trust that the righteous one has accepted your sacrifice. We sometimes think in our minds that somehow the God of the Old Testament accepted people different than the God of the New Testament. That's not the biblical pattern. Hebrews 11 makes it very clear. The man is justified. The woman is justified. The child is made right with God by faith. By faith. And the Old Testament saint was not made right with God by sacrifice. Please hear me again. The sacrifice was important. It was part of what they do. But just like this service where we broke the bread and passed the cup, it does not make you right with God. What makes you right with God was the shed blood 2,000 plus years ago on that cross and you entering into it. What makes you right with God with you humbling yourself before the, the cross in your own bedroom, falling on your knees and crying out, Be merciful to me, the sinner. That's what makes you right with God. And there's so many people today across our land that are performance-orientated. It's all about performance. And it's all about appearance. But nothing has entered into their heart. And their heart has never been humbled. And their heart is in the same category as so many today who are far from God. So many of the Pharisees of Jesus' time. And so, in Psalm 71, 2, two, he says, Deliver me in your righteousness, not my righteousness. Deliverance comes in God, the righteous one. In Psalm 71, 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord. I will make mention of, again, your righteousness. Of you only. My tongue shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. 
So how do we lose our righteousness? You know, there we are in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we see that beautiful statement, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. God is proclaiming that it's good what He has created. When He looks down on the man and woman, He says, and it's very good. And what happened? Genesis 2.17, it says, God has only one restriction. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And of course, that's what they did. Ah, but lest you say, I wouldn't have done it. I would have sat back and said, "Uh uh-uh, ain't going there, not going near that tree. Yes, you would have. For we're so much like Adam. In fact, we're, we're way worse than Adam. We're way worse than Eve. And that sin, that effect of sin, that effect of them disobeying the one command put them in separation and has put the whole of humanity in separation. And God, the Lord, drives him out of Eden. We've been trying to get in ever since. And the rest of the world has been trying to get in and barging down the geese with good works. But that's not the way in. Isaiah 45, a beautiful section. You know, not just the Psalms talk about God's righteousness in the Old Testament, but Isaiah talks of it. And he says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I am God, there's no other. I've sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. And that he shall say, in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. Those are great verses too. Remember, when you're talking to those who do not believe that Jesus is God. Because in Philippians chapter 2, Paul draws from this passage and he says, And to every knee and to every tongue shall confess, Jesus is Lord. And those who proclaim that, God, that Jesus is just a prophet, just a religious leader, just a somebody, but not really the very God, God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, they have a hard time with this verse. But this is Paul writing, and he's, a, he's knowledgeable. And every tongue shall say, every tongue shall make that oath, surely in the Lord I have righteousness. And so, this is what Easter is all about. Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was the righteous one who dies in our place. Now, lest we think that Jesus didn't get challenged about whether he was righteous or not, all through the New Testament we find evidences of those challenges coming. When Jesus called Matthew, I love the calling of Matthew. It's such a beautiful story. Jesus comes into the tax booth. So one time Jesus didn't pay taxes, I guess, because he collected taxes. (laughs) He collected a a disciple. He, He comes down... And, well, we don't know he didn't pay taxes. Maybe the one of the others who had the money bag paid the taxes. So I should be careful here, not adding or subtracting to the Word of God. But nevertheless, he comes in, and Matthew looks up, and he says, Come, follow me. 
That's all he said. Why? Is it Matthew sitting there? Now, he, he, he has a big pile of money on his plate right there. And he just, I don't know if he swooped it up or, or if he just walked away. But I do know he came and followed. He immediately followed. And it says that they were having this huge banquet. How did that happen? How do you go from a tax collector sitting at the table to a banquet? There's got to be some preparation. Any of us who know what it's involved in putting a meal together and all that's involved in that, uh, we think that, uh, that these things have to be totally explained. But let me just add one point. I believe that Matthew was that uh, tax collector that Jesus talked about when he said there was a Pharisee and there was a, a tax collector, a publican he called him, who were in the temple, and that publican said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And when Jesus told that story, he was telling Matthew's story. And he had been hearing Matthew's prayer, and he'd been talking to Matthew as only God can talk to Matthew. He may be even in a dream. But Matthew was ready for the call. And let me say that you and I, when we get the call and we hear him calling, we just say, who would not answer if they heard him call? And this one, Jesus, when he said to the Pharisees, why are you complaining that I have invited the tax collectors and sinners, the publicans? Why? It's only those who, those who are well of duty to physician, only the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's a powerful verse. I did not come to call the righteous. Jesus was having some challenges, not too much food for the disciples, and there they were walking through the grain fields in Matthew's account. And as they walked through the grain fields, they're picking out the grains from the corners and they're picking out leftover grain and they're just kind of snacking away on it. Granola grain, I think, probably, you know. Granola bars, that's where they came from, obviously. And uh, the, uh, they're snacking away. And the Pharisees say, wait a minute, this is the Sabbath day and your disciples are harvesting on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, don't you know what David did when he was hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the showbread. You know, you ever wonder what happens to the bread there that's on the table there afterwards? Well, we try to make use of it somehow. That's one of the, that's one of the values of uh, God's work. It's meant to be reused, nothing lost. And uh, here he entered the house of God and ate the showbread. Twelve loaves of bread sitting on the table. He's not a priest. What's he doing eating? He was hungry. And God said, that's okay. It's okay. You need some food. Get going. Ceremonial law. Jesus is Lord of ceremonial law. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, the priest, profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What's that all about? Well, if the eighth day was the day for circumcision, and if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, they, the priest would still circumcise on the Sabbath. He would perform that ceremony right, but it was work for him. Uh, anybody who's ever been involved in lots of uh, preaching activity knows that uh, Sunday is not a day of rest. <laughs> not for the preacher, anyways. And uh, so um, you find another day to fulfill that command to be resting one day out of seven. But uh, 
This is one, I say to you, that's greater than the temple. If you'd know what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Keep an eye on that term, Son of Man. It's a very important term. And uh, even the man who was healed, the man with the withered hand. Wow, that'd be pretty powerful if somebody had a hand that was droopy and withered and couldn't work, paralyzed. And then all of a sudden, he he just says, be healed. And he is healed. Wonderful, wonderful. And he says, you know, I'm not practicing medicine on the Sabbath. I'm healing. I'm doing what God does all the time. Because he is God. And that's the whole point. The scribes and the Pharisees said, why do your disciples transgress the elders? Transgress the elders. Why? They don't wash their hands. That was very important. It still is. The types of pots you use, the types of food you eat, it's still very much a ritual kind of uh, religion. And he says, they said, why do you transgress the commandment? And he says, why do you transgress the commandment? For you, God said, honor your father and mother. Whoever curses mother or father, let him be put to death. You say, whoever says to father and mother, what profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Have you ever heard of that being done? Oh, you say, that's, that's called Corban in the Old Testament, or the New Testament early church. But it's still being done today. People are doing it. They say, well, I'll, yeah, I won't have you, my mom and dad with me. I'll ship them off to some other place or... Whatever. And uh, whatever is uh, profit I might have received from them, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to get myself off the hook here for my responsibilities of honoring father and mother. But what does he say? He says that the command has been nullified by the traditions of mankind. So Jesus was condemned, and we're going to hear more about that on Good Friday, and we're going to hear more about that on Easter Sunday. But what was he condemned for? If he was absolutely righteous in thought, in act, in purity, in love, he has these wonderful miracles, walking on water, calming the sea, raising the dead, giving giving sight to the blind, uh, making miraculous catches of fish, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, doing all these things. He's displaying himself as God in flesh. So, what was he condemned for? Well, he was condemned, and this verse in Daniel 7.13, I've thrown it in here to the message this morning because I think it's important. The Son of Man, I beheld one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came with the Ancient of Days. This is a, a passage from Daniel. As Daniel was looking in his vision, this is what he saw. He saw the Son of Man coming. And, of course, when he was standing before the scribes and the Pharisees, They could not find anything. The closest they could find to a a fault in Jesus was that he had said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, well, you're, you're talking sedition here. You want to destroy the temple of God. Of course, he was referring to the temple of his body. So they finally said, I put you under oath. If you are the Christ, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, nevertheless, I say, you will hereafter see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's quoting Daniel to himself as a reference of himself. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, you have heard this blasphemy. And so Jesus was proclaiming himself as God the Son. And Pilate 
doesn't crucify people for blasphemy. The Jewish God, he doesn't care about a Jewish God. He worships a Roman God. Pilate is not a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He doesn't care about blasphemy to this God called Jehovah. So they have to conspire and find another charge. And the charge is sedition. It charges rebellion. The charge is now, he is raising up an army to rebel against Rome. Of course, that was never the case. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And so Pilate said, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him, not a word. So the governor marveled and they put up over his head the accusation. Here's the accusation. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Not the king who did anything wrong, just the king of the Jews. That's a very nice accusation, but I don't know where that breaks the law. Even if you said, now, the Jewish people were upset. Let's change that to he said he was. We're not going to let this man rule over us. And there's many today that say the same. I will not let this man rule over us. There was a man whom is still esteemed in the nation of Israel, the father of faith. His name is Abraham. He looked up to the sky one day and God said to him, as many as these stars that you see, you will have descendants. Abraham believed in the Lord and that was counted to him as righteousness. This was repeated three times in the New Testament. Romans 4 verse 3 and again in James 2.23 and again in Galatians 3.6. Why does God repeat himself? Because we need repetition. Those of us who have been involved in the learning process, teaching, Um, Any skill, how do you learn? You learn by repetition. Keep doing the same thing. And you learn. God knows we need repetition. And he says, Abraham, the father of the faithful, believed the impossible. Remember, he was in his 90s. He was a man of age. His wife was a man of age. And this was an impossible thing biologically. But there is nothing impossible for God. There's impossible things in your life. There's impossible things in my life. But there's never impossible things in God's life. And when God is in our lives, the impossible becomes possible. And so, we could go through these passages. I'll just basically, for those of you who are taking notes, uh, these will also be on the uh, PowerPoint presentation, Romans 4 and 5, Romans 9.30, and Romans 10.4. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made him the righteous one. He has became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This morning I I took this, this rather nice sweater and put it on. And you put something on as well because I see everyone's wearing clothes today. And I'm glad. And uh, we are called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself in Christ. He is in us. And we are called to live out that life. And so he bare his own, in, uh, our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. How can we live unto righteousness today? 
by living in Jesus, by abiding in him, by living out the life that he wants to live in us. And so his righteousness has become ours. It is complete, extends to our whole lives. It is irreversible. No second verdict can alter it. What can lay the charge against God's elect? And it is for the ungodly, not the righteous. In fact, it's when you get saved and you come from a religious background, that's, that's a strange twist because we who are religious, and I'm speaking personally here, we resist it because that's humbling. That's very humbling to say, I am the sinner. I'm the one that Jesus died for. And so how do we get it? By believing, by trusting, by repentance and acknowledging that one can't even believe without his help. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says that they, he received, as many as believed on him, he received, made, gave them authority to become the children of God, even those who believe on his name, who were born not of water, not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the will of flesh, but of God. But of God. And so, how can I have Jesus' righteousness? John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. I trust that this will be a help to us as we think about and meditate upon this coming week. But also, if there's one here that has never trusted in the Savior, I would encourage you to humble your heart and accept his gift of righteousness even this day. I'm going to ask the uh, praise team to come forward again, and we will sing. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand as we, as we sing our final songs. Our final song, I should say, Amazing Grace.
this morning that we have entered into this place of righteousness. You have said in the Psalms, open to me the gates of righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that those gates are opened in Jesus. That even today, in this day and age where there's so much disbelief, we thank you, Lord, that you have opened our hearts, that we might trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you again that he died for past sin, for present sin, and for future sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ is ever precious and ever powerful even today. Lord, we pray that you will help us to walk in the fullness of your Spirit, that we might take the opportunities that avail even in this coming week to share the good news of Jesus, to share the life that you would have us to live. And we thank you again. Bless us and take us home safely, we pray in Jesus' name.